This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Carl Ulrich. Welcome to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I co-host Launchpad with Rob Conybeer. Rob is Managing Director of Shasta Ventures, a leading Silicon Valley venture capital firm. Rob and I usually broadcast, we alternate weeks, so but mostly we broadcast from the Wharton School's campus in San Francisco. Today, I'm lucky enough to be at the mothership here in Philadelphia. It's a great time to be on campus. Students are working hard, beautiful fall leaves, all that good stuff. So I'm really happy to be here in Philly today. The idea behind Launchpad is that Rob and I understand that entrepreneurship is a challenging endeavor, that it's fraught with risk and uncertainty, but we believe that there's some things that you can do to increase your chances of success. And so the big idea behind Launchpad is that we bring onto the show entrepreneurs who are themselves facing the challenges of launching and growing an organization, and we look for opportunities to underscore tools, principles, and methods that can help you in your own in your own life. Now we realize that only some of you are yourselves entrepreneurs. We definitely speak directly to you. Some of you are thinking you might want to take the plunge and we think we can give you a good window into what the world of entrepreneurship is all about. And of course most of you are just interested in what's new out there in the world of business and we hope to also make the show interesting for you. But to start off the show, I'm joined in the studio by Matt Stevenson, who's executive director and co-founder of Code to College. Matt, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, Carl. So you're based in Austin, right? That's right. What are you doing here? Um, loving being back on campus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I should have mentioned that that Matt is an alum of the Wharton School, uh, MBA 2011, right? 2011. That's right. Yeah. 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 I and I had your class. Um, my my final semester was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, and and did you come just to do the show today? So, yeah, of course. No. <laughs> I actually just finished up with a group of Wharton undergrads. We yeah. had lunch over at Distrito. And then uh, tomorrow I'm going to be uh, um, serving as an EIR with the Wharton Entrepreneurial Program. So. Yeah, that's Entrepreneur in Residence. And we bring people in to, to meet with students. Thanks for coming out. That's, Absolutely. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's first... Uh, Point our listeners to your to your organization. So it's Code Two College, and the it's the numeral two. So Code, numeral two, College, and it's dot org. That's and right. we'll get we'll circle back on on why that is and so forth here in a minute. But uh, give us the elevator pitch for Code to College. Absolutely. So Code to College, we're a nonprofit that's focused on preparing minority and low-income high school students for uh, entry and excellence in STEM careers. We've got a program model uh, that has three components, education, exposure, and experience. The education uh, component, we recruit volunteers from tech companies like Google, Atlassian, and about 30 others to deliver 60 hours of coding education to students twice a week, every week throughout the school year. Exposure, we complement those technical skills that they're building with professional skills like resume building, elevator pitch development, interview prep, uh, through monthly workshops at these corporate offices. And then we place the top students in our program into paid summer internships where they earn up to $6,000 while still in high school. 
And these are typically then, are these college seniors or juniors? These typically? are all high school students. Oh, any, so any year. That's yeah. right. So um, I would say our sweet spot are sophomores and juniors. Yeah. Um, but yes, they're all um, all still in high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so Matt, what what problem are you trying to solve here? What's give me describe a little bit the the problem? So there's a dual problem here. We always hear about the dearth of tech talent, um, not only locally but nationally, and the fact that in 2020 the figure is that about a million computing related jobs will go unfilled. Um, but on the other side, we've got all of these diverse students, whether we're talking about female. Um, students of color, low-income students who lack the basic opportunity and access to pursue these STEM careers. If you don't have an engineer as a father, if you have no one who um, in in the financial services realm has um, spoken to you about their work, how could you know to pursue those roles? And so what we're trying to do is really expose these students give them the hard skills that they need to be successful, and then give them access to these careers. Yeah. So the, 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 the groups that are underrepresented in STEM, is it something about STEM per se, or is this true also of, say, medicine or law or other professions? Yeah, so so medicine would still fall within STEM. Okay. Um, law, you definitely see... Um, a, a, there's underrepresentation, but definitely not in the same way that you see mm-hmm. with STEM. Um, to give you some data, I'd like to back it up with data. So uh, about 50% of both female and low-income, two-thirds of Hispanic, and almost uh, three-quarters of black undergraduate students who initially select a STEM major mm-hmm. ultimately switch to a liberal arts degree or drop out completely. Mm. And so a lot of that has to do with the three things that we're looking yeah. to address. So the lack of appropriate education, the the lack of exposure to these careers, as well as lack of experience um, specifically within these fields mm-hmm. so that they can make more informed decisions. Yeah. So tell us the origin story. Where did yeah. the idea come from? So uh, quick quick and dirty, uh, my background is in finance and information systems. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to code before it was sexy, so I just did it on the side to make extra money. Yeah. Uh, but I saw that there were incredibly low barriers to entry, which was something that was really appealing to me. And I always wanted to figure out uh, how do we give this type of access to uh, students in need? And fast forward, um, I worked for I worked in financial services and then ended up in the nonprofit space. And I worked for an organization that placed minority students into internships, mm-hmm. front office roles that they otherwise didn't have access to. Uh, I wanted to scale that. Uh, concept. And so that's why I came to Wharton. Mm-hmm. And then 10 years later, my wife and I, we co-founded Code to College in Austin because if you've been to Austin, you see the tremendous tech presence there. Yeah. But I'll tell you, uh, this the figure goes back to 2016. There are about 60,000 uh, diverse students in our universe of target population. So there's a humongous need there. Yeah. So, so let me see if I get that story right. So so you you went to business school with the goal of doing this project? Uh, so I, I went to business school with a lot of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, but, roll, roll back a little bit. So sure. I, tell us a little bit more about you. Where'd you go to college? What'd you do after college? You had, give, give us the run up to, to oh, Wharton sure. again. All yeah. right. So, so I, I'm from New York. I yeah. um, went to uh, Stern undergrad. Yeah. And I started off in uh, finance over at Goldman. Mm-hmm. I was working in uh, credit risk management mm-hmm. from 05 to 08, covering credit derivatives and mortgage-backed mm-hmm. securities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I wanted a change in my life. Into really... I, I'm guessing you yourself were not disadvantaged, particularly. I mean, that sounds like a pretty, uh, pretty well, I don't know. I'm not, I don't mean to pry, but 
No, but prime. yeah, yeah. No, but <laughs> so tell us the story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, so let's see. So my I'm a I'm first generation Jamaican American. So my mm-hmm. family's all from Jamaica. Okay. Um, so I'd say middle class family. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know my my dad went to college. My mom did not. Mm-hmm. And but education was really important in our household. Yeah. And so they pushed us and they pushed us hard. And um, I, I wouldn't, I definitely say that I've, I've had advantages in my life yeah. and it's all degrees. But, um, but yeah, I, I would say that along the way I've had folks who've provided opportunities. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you did, you did this fancy rocket science finance stuff uh, and, and, uh, and okay, then, so keep, Continue the story. Sure. So you're working on Wall Street, basically. Working yeah. on Wall Street. Yeah. Uh, love the work. Um, tolerate and where the did people. The, and where did the coding come in? So uh, the coding came in because um, I, I knew that it was another skill set, and I had room, honestly, in mm-hmm. my my course load. Mm-hmm. And I actually liked it. Yeah. And I, and I took to it, and then I ultimately became the the webmaster for a friend's company mm-hmm. and I did some other coding projects on the side and it paid really well. Yeah. And, and this is all a side hustle. This right? is all side hustle. Yeah, yeah, all side yeah, hustle. Yeah. And and so I said, why not? This is great. Yeah. Uh, and then it helped when I was in finance too, mm-hmm. you know, building macros. Uh, but again, it wasn't sexy back then yeah. and I wanted to go the finance route. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so then you went to business school. Uh, well, right before business school, I worked for a nonprofit. Oh, yeah. That, that, yeah. Right. Okay. So, yeah. uh, sponsors for educational opportunity, okay. uh, placing students from, they recruit heavily here at Penn, yep. but then way off target schools like Kennesaw State University. Yeah. But the, the common thread is that these students are really passionate about exploring financial services, IT, and other careers. I see. All mm-hmm. right. And so it was really as a result of that experience that the, the germ of this idea yeah. uh, was born. Absolutely. Okay. So, you, but so you you now back to to Wharton. So you went to Wharton. This was one of a handful of things you were interested in exploring. Yeah, yeah. there were there were a few things that I was interested in. I was still thinking about finance pretty heavily. Yep. Um, but what I realized so. That finance, specifically, I was interested in the frontier markets. Again, Mm -hmm. my family's from Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And so I actually spent my summer in Barbados doing investment banking. And um, that was... That was great in some ways. In other ways, it was really eye-opening, and it, it helped me realize that that wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started going down the education path. Yeah. All right. So um, let's now fast forward to circle back on on Code to College. So did you start it right out of Wharton, or did you— so right out of Wharton, I actually um, <laughs> I taught math at, in high school. Oh, that would have been I would have guessed that. Yeah, right. Right. You that, was, that was your, your second MBA. guess. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I got to ask. So why why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so our, again, I was really interested in education. Yeah, I was pursuing a, a ton of roles, and if you don't have a background in education, especially if you already have an MBA. You do get a, a a huge side eye. Oh, is that right? And yeah. it's like, is this is this guy for real? Yeah, yeah. he's not for real. Yeah. And so, so I dove in head first. Yeah. And I thought, well, look, I'm gonna be in the trenches. Yeah. And I'm gonna get that education background. And it was a life changing experience. Really, in so many ways. So was it Teach for America or what? It, it, it yeah. actually wasn't Teach for America. Yeah. So I I worked for a uh, a charter organization mm-hmm. called Achievement First mm-hmm. up in New Haven, Connecticut. And again, given my my technical background, uh, I taught high school math, mm. and so that was a natural fit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but you did that as a stepping stone to 
to code to college or is this just a random walk this is not this is uh this is a i was de-risking myself <laughs> all right i was de-risking code to college and and i thought if i'm going to do anything huge in education i really need to understand from the perspective of a student yeah. as well as a teacher yeah Okay, so uh, and then and then before we circle back on the programs, which I want to hear more about, how, how did you were you already in Austin and therefore decided to do it there, or did you go to Austin to do this? So I moved to Austin with my family because I had gotten a role as director of finance for a school district, mm-hmm. and so I had always wanted to live in Austin. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a wonderful place. Lower cost of living, pretty good food. Yeah, and great music. Gr- great music. I got the call uh, from a headhunter, and I said, of, co- of course. Yeah. <laughs> like, I booked the flight right away, yeah. and that was it. I didn't yeah. even need to hear about the yeah. role. So. All right. So back to Code to College. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell, us, tell me a little bit about the uh, – let's just circle back on the program. So I'm a, I'm a sophomore – how, how how do you how do you identify the students? How do you get the how do you get the ones who are interested or or make this opportunity aware to people who might not know they're interested? Yeah. yeah. So we partner directly with high schools, mm-hmm. and early on in the school year, we do uh, what I like to call a road show, and I literally go from class to class pitching the program. Mm-hmm. I take about five to ten minutes letting students know about the benefits, about the program model and the commitment, but also the opportunity. We started off two years ago with uh, one company hosting interns for us. That was Indeed. Mm -hmm. Since then, we've added about a dozen, including Mm -hmm. Retail Me Not, Favor, Kendra Scott. So we're we're expanding our industrial footprint, too. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, when I mentioned Kendra Scott, all of the girls' eyes just lit up. Okay, so I'm apparently not in that demographic. I don't even know what that is. Kendra, <laughs> so Kendra Scott, she is uh, she's in fine goods and jewelry, but okay. she's a she's a, a national, maybe a global brand. Okay, mm-hmm. all right, all right. Um, but also from Texas, so all right. you're forgiven. All right. <laughs> so I, I'm curious, you know, thirteen year old or fifteen year old uh, in in high school in Austin, what have you found is the best hook? to get them interested in even taking another look? I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, you've tried a bunch of stuff, I, presumably. I, yeah. yeah. I So to answer that question, I, I'll, I'll tell you what I've tried. So I first thought the prospect of earning $6,000 over the summer was going to be huge. Yeah. And what I realized soon after was if your bills are already paid for, the concept of earning money is still pretty foreign. So I could have said $600 and had the same effect. Ah. Um, I I told them about visiting some of these companies Mm -hmm. and these brands that they're familiar with. That's actually a much bigger hook. Mm -hmm. So when I drop Google, when I drop, um, you know, other companies like that, they get really excited. Mm -hmm. And then once they actually get there, they get extremely excited. They say, wait, you can get food for free at work. (laughs) They have sleeping pods here. Um, And then also I would say a lot of it has to do with network effects. Once we've partnered with a school for more than one year and they actually know the students who have interned, they've got some association Uh, of, oh, that's you weren't just kidding. Yeah, yeah. You know, what you ought to do is take them to... Yeah, the back office of some insurance company, and show them a cubicle, and then and then take them to Google. Right, right. Yeah. You will not be here. Yeah. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And then so so they're interested. What? Tell us again the commitment. 
So. Sure. So the the commitment is uh, they have to show up twice a week, mm-hmm. every week after school for an hour, where they're building a capstone project, which is a full stack web uh, full stack website. Mm-hmm. So they're learning HTML, CSS, and JavaScript on the front end, Python on the back end, and SQL. Uh, for database, mm-hmm. and they are coming up with some incredible projects. And actually, I should mention there is not a standard website that they come up with. Yeah, because we do an I learned this in your class an innovation tournament. Oh wow! So they actually have to come up with a battery of ideas, and it's it's exhaustive mm-hmm. uh, for them. Uh, you know, it's anywhere from ten to fifteen ideas. Mm-hmm. From there, we pare it down. They get feedback. And ultimately, they they whittle it down to one yeah. that they'll work on. Yeah. So I, I would say in a if we were talking about students who are already graduated from college or who are adults in the workforce, like company like with a similar name, Code Academy, for instance, they would mm-hmm. be focused on giving them marketable skills that lets them go into doing work in a company and getting paid. Yeah. That that's not really what your goal is here, right? So your goal is for them to say, oh, this is pretty interesting. I might be willing to study that in college. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we have, we've got the full, the full gamut. Yeah. We've got students who are already taking AP Computer Science, mm-hmm. and so they know that they're interested, yeah. all the way to students who have never even taken a keyboarding class. Yeah. And we're saying, look, you're a diverse student. You're a student who... Statistically, you will not pursue a STEM career, mm-hmm. but there is no reason why you shouldn't. Yeah. And so we want to give you the skills necessary to be successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and do you – how do you manage the – I mean, you're targeting a certain population, but how do you actually f- – do you filter on, on – I don't know. What attributes can you filter on and how does that work? Yeah. We actually – so we don't fil- – so – our application does not ask for GPA yeah. because, again, we want to make it, yeah. it accessible. Um, we don't filter by race. Yeah. It's open to all students. Yeah. Uh, path of least resistance. We're in Texas. Um, but also what we do is we implement four short answer essay questions mm-hmm. that help us subjectively determine mm-hmm. their likelihood of persistence in the program. Yeah. Are they taking this seriously? Right. So you're not really screening based on need as much as who's going to succeed. In, the, in this program. That's correct. Yeah. However, what I'll tell you is it's interesting because our, our very first class was 70% female. Mm-hmm. And people used to ask us when they saw uh, our our media, our social media, is this only for girls? Yeah. And so it's really interesting yeah. how that yeah. how that perception works, right? Because it's usually the reverse. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you this last class that we admitted, even though we're not filtering, was 90% non-white it was 65% free and reduced price lunch, so mm-hmm. the proxy for low mm-hmm. income, 49% female, and 45% mm-hmm. first gen. So mm-hmm. they would be the first in their mm-hmm. family to pursue college. It, and that's that's an overrepresentation relative to the population you're targeting. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you think the uh, signals are they're taking? Are they sort of looking at, uh, is it in the way you describe the, the program, or is it who's already in the program? Yeah. I think it's a mixture of of those two things, but I would also say it's about our partnership approach. Mm-hmm. We also intentionally partner with schools who have an overrepresentation of students of color. Yeah. So if they've got anywhere from seventy five percent plus of Black and Hispanic yeah. students, we want to partner yeah. with them. If they're Title One eligible, so forty yeah. percent or more are on free or reduced price lunch, we want to partner with yeah. them. Um, as we continue to grow, obviously those demographics will shift. As I mentioned, our first class was 70% female, now it's 49%. Yeah. But we 
the the point or our our focus is really for that to trend not too far lower than mm-hmm. that. Got it. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton, and I'm speaking speaking with Matt Stevenson, who's the Executive Director and Co-Founder of Code2 College. Um, So, Matt, tell us a little bit about what you know so far about outcomes, whether you know you're making a difference. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got some really favorable early data. So of our last class, I believe it was 84% of our students either uh, met or exceeded their GPA. Uh, We had 85% self-reported an improvement in their technical competency. Mm -hmm. We've had 100% return offer rates year over year, so for both summer 2017 and summer 2018 of this meaning year. if they did an internship they were asked to they return. Were asked return yeah mm-hmm. yeah and uh so overall we we continue to acquire uh corporate partners as well as school partners mm-hmm. at a pretty aggressive rate mm-hmm. how long will it take before you know whether you're achieving your ultimate goal and how will you measure that Five years. Yeah. So our so our time horizon is seven years, really, from uh, the the time we first meet our student mm-hmm. to the time that they become a, an FTE. Yeah. And so, for instance, our wait FTE. Uh, f- sorry, full time employee. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so 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 our our goal is that they convert to a full time employee in a post graduate post graduate yeah. in a STEM career in a STEM career. That's right. right. So our very first um, college um, admit Casey, she's a freshman. Pursuing computer science at A and M, yeah, and so we've got you know another three, three years. years. Yeah. Um, however, this coming summer will be her third year interning at Indeed, in one of their most uh, challenging groups, the Labs Group. So probably, she's pushing out products all the time. Probably safe bet she's going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. All right. Good. Um, all right. Well, that this is all really inspiring, really cool. Uh, tell us a little bit about the the business so it's a let's let's start with the with the nonprofit so you you know people in in our social impact group are are often will say look nonprofit that's just that's just a tax designation uh but it's one that brings with it uh open certain doors closes certain doors so how did you think about the decision you had this goal mm-hmm. all entrepreneurs have goals uh for profit or nonprofit. so how did you think through the question of how organizationally to pursue this goal yeah so totally agree with those folks so as a social enterprise that has a nonprofit designation the focus was we're missional we've got a missional focus and therefore um getting started we definitely needed to um we definitely needed to receive individual donations yeah. just to get that startup capital. And we needed to apply to grants to get that startup capital as well. And I have, I've done two for-profit startups in the past, mm-hmm. and I was not prepared to do a, a for-profit grind to make this work. Yeah. And I, I also think that the education space on the for-profit side is wildly um, misunderstood and yeah. crowded. Yeah. So, uh, and I saw a ton of opportunity in that there was no one in Central Texas doing what we were doing. Mm-hmm. So I thought that we would be able to get funded. Yeah. In addition to that, I wanted to pilot an earned revenue model so that over time the philanthropic dollars would make up a much smaller proportion of our revenue. Yeah. And we're 
Yeah, it's looking pretty good so far. All right, so I just got to ask you then. So, so the nonprofit has not been a grind. Oh no, it's been so easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say they're all a grind. They're, 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 it's true. They're they're all a grind. <laughs> it was the grind I chose, <laughs> which always makes it yeah feel less bad. Yeah, I, I, I get. It. Okay, so so that what you said is pretty interesting because I would say, pe- some people think it's easier to to raise venture capital than it is to raise philanthropy. So your view, I mean, obviously you have to have business model if it's if it's philanthropic. Um, but you you had the other view that it would be easier to get the the initial capital through philanthropy, but then then have this ambition of it being having positive cash flow, being self sustaining. What will be the key elements of that business model, the sustainable business model? Sure. Yeah. So our earned revenue is based on placement fees, and so every intern that we place, we assess a placement fee um, to the company that is hosting them. Mm. And that's in addition to them paying the students directly their internship wages. And so uh, it's basically as we get better as a program, we will place more interns. As Mm -hmm. we place more interns, Mm -hmm. we will source more or generate more earned revenue. And it becomes like this flywheel where we, we grow more successful, we place more interns and Ultimately, we're sustainable as an organization. Yeah. And, and just tell me a little bit with the motivation that a company like Indeed is a for-profit entity. They, I would guess, have no problem attracting in summer interns. So is it is it part of their social mission or is it they expect to see a direct benefit from increasing the diversity of their internship pool? So what's interesting is that Indeed is absolutely seen as one of the elite operations in in Austin mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. however they in Austin as as is the case everywhere else they're fighting for talent yeah the the talent market is so um, it's not a soft market at all yeah. and um, folks are looking to basically what they do is they poach from other markets yeah it is a hard sell to get someone from the Bay Area or from New York or yeah. from Ch- yeah. Chicago to Austin especially when we're not paying as much. Mm -hmm. And it's embedded in them. They understand the diversity angle. But in addition to that, they want to make an investment in talent. And so it's the companies that are really forward-thinking, like Indeed, Q2, Build Facts, who are making these investments. Mm -hmm. So they view it as a population that's likely to stay in the ecosystem. And so this is a way of building from the bottom up the workforce. Empirically, we actually know that students in Texas state, but definitely central Texas area, that they either stay there or return there after college. And so why not invest in them for a fraction of what they're spending on diversity and talent, uh, technical talent recruitment? Mm-hmm. All right, well, tell us how it's going. It's going great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, so again, two years ago, we started with a cohort of about 30 students. Uh, we admitted just over 250 this year, and next year we plan to admit 1,000. Wow. Uh, what we're building out over the next uh, two years is a blueprint such that other states can replicate this. Mm-hmm. Essentially a hub-and-spoke model where there is one central city that is handling the, the back end, 
And there are other cities. So if we're talking about Ohio, you know, Cincinnati, Dayton, Toledo that are able to operate this because it's a low cost model. We're talking about volunteer instructors, mm. volunteer mentors. Mm. The companies pick up the tab for the workshop costs. Mm. The schools pick up the tab for the transportation. Mm. So um, it's a really replicable model. Right now, we're just developing the best practices to do so. So, but you want to do this under the the Code to College brand. So you would. Assign, I mean, it's it's not a for profit. So, but but still, you want to. The hub would still be Austin. Oh, no. no so I'm, I, I'm actually thinking. In each state, there would be. Absolutely. Okay. So think of Code to College, Texas yeah. being uh, the central hub being in Austin. I see. But then Colorado, yeah. maybe it's Denver. Yeah. yeah. Got mm-hmm. it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, Matt, this is super interesting. It's it's also, I mean, just to actually, I'm going to ask you to make to see whether you would make this point, which is you've been involved in both for profit and and. Uh, not-for-profit startups. Uh, what fraction of lessons learned, key principles, tools, methods are the same, and how? What what fraction is different? I've been, <laughs> I've actually been trying to approach Code to College with a, a for-profit mindset. Yeah. For a number of reasons: one, the stakeholders that we're dealing with—that's yeah. their expectation. Two, I think it's a, our competitive advantage. Because the nonprofits that we do compete with are our peers, they are not thinking that way. Mm-hmm. And so um, being able to innovate, be agile, and think of things differently um, helps us significantly, especially in terms of growth. Uh, if I were going to think of differences, I would say that there is a lot more focus. I'm a lot more relational in my role here yeah. as, as a for-profit or a non-for-profit um, founder versus when I was for profit, um, I spent a lot more time getting to know people yep. and trying to understand people and grow with them. Because in some ways, and that's because some of the decisions are based more on intangibles than on dollars and cents. Is that why? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, Matt, this is super interesting. It's a nice change of pace for us to mm-hmm. to talk about a startup in the in a, a nonprofit startup. So, thanks so much for making the time, and I I hope you have a great visit the rest of your visit to Penn. Thanks so much for having me. All right. So for more information, you can visit Code Two College. That's the numeral two Code numeral two College dot org. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.